Let's face it, running a construction company can be chaotic. As business owners, we wear a lot of hats and we're constantly putting out fires. Luckily, there's a way to work simpler with Builder Trend. I'm a huge advocate for using technology to help run AFT, and Builder Trend is one of the most crucial tools I rely on to keep me on top of every detail. Built just for home builders and remodelers, this is an easy to use platform that helps manage all aspects of my business. My team's been using Builder Trend's project management platform for the last five years. And we love that they're always improving and adding new features to make our lives easier. This is something that we've really tried to take on internally to find ways to improve our system every day. Build a Trend just released a full set of financial services, added new tools like Takeoff to make estimates more accurate, and launched a total rebrand with a new mission to help change the future of construction. And we are on board. To learn more about how Build a Trend can help calm the chaos in your construction business, Visit buildatrend.com backslash AFT. When you schedule a demo, you'll receive an exclusive 60-day money-back guarantee only available to my podcast listeners. I'm following Build a Trend into the future in construction. Come on board with us. We are just a few months away from the Contractors Coalition Summit here in Scottsdale, Arizona. It'll begin on Sunday, May 7th and complete on Wednesday, May 10th. We had two events that were completely sold out last year. The first one in Nashville, second one in Huntington Beach with Nick Schiffer from NS Builders and Morgan Molitor from Construction of Style. Again, make sure that you get out to Scottsdale. It's going to be an amazing event. We only have a few seats left, and we're going to be speaking about all things pricing, project management, how to make money inside and outside of your business, You know, contracts, client expectations, building that organization, and again, just the marketing aspect, social media. One of the most amazing values of this conference is not only the content that's produced and a lot of the information that's handed out to those that attend, but also the networking, being there with 30 like-minded builders around the country, being able to have a, someone to contact and reach out to on any questions you have moving forward. It is an amazing event. Hurry and sign up. Again, www.contractorscoalitionsummit.com. We'll see you in May. When you listen effectively to your customers, they become an invisible sales force referring you consistently to say, look, you can go to Brad and he'll do a great job for you. But you know what's different about him? He really gets you. He really listens. And that's a different position. That's independent of your product, independent of your service. That's your brand being communicated by your customers. Imagine having a sales force that you didn't pay. Imagine having a sales force that was that effective. That's the commercial gift of listening. So welcome to the AFT Construction Podcast, and this is one that I've been anticipating for quite some time. So with us, we have Oscar Trimboli, and Oscar, I guess we could say deep listener, but essentially author, podcaster, and has, has been willing to come on the podcast today for our audience. Again, most of our audience, Oscar, they're entrepreneurs, they're business owners. You know, you're going to speak about things that are really important of most of which um, I think I could use a lot of practice as most of us. So um, so welcome to the show. And with that said, gift of listening, what is that? Uh, look, I think for people who run their own businesses, the gift of listening is getting time back. Shorter meetings, more meaningful meetings, listening to clients and prospects, telling you not just what they say, but what they mean. Listening not just to what's said, listening to what isn't said and knowing that when you listen impactfully the gift you give the speaker is they change the way they communicate what they think and mean 
And as a result, they feel seen, heard, and valued. So that's a gift that listening gives us. In a purely commercial sense, Brad, though, gives us better profitability, better cash flow. And the dirty little secret is this. You will create a sales force that's invisible that you never imagined. When you listen effectively to your customers, they become an invisible sales force referring you consistently to say, look, you can go to Brad and he'll do a great job for you, but you know what's different about him? He really gets you. He really listens. And that's a different position. That's independent of your product, independent of your service. That's your brand being communicated by your customers. Imagine having a sales force that you didn't pay. Imagine having a sales force that was that effective. That's the commercial gift of listening. I'm curious because, Brad, I can see your mind is like processing of what's going <laughs> through your mind as you're hearing this. So you'll, you'll see that I'm uh, one of my favorite things about being a podcaster, honestly, Oscar, is I have guests such as yourself that come on. And to the side of me, I mean, I take a ton of notes, you know, because mm. there's so many nuggets you're giving that just I, I have to apply and my mind's racing for a few reasons. One thing I speak about is time. It's funny. I, I do want to get into the invisible sales force. And I use the term silent salesman, right? People selling your brand, not on your payroll, which is what you're discussing. We'll get into. But what's fascinating is like, I'm obsessed with time for some reason at this point <laughs> in my life, you know, as, as kids are getting older, you know, business is busy. My team's busy. Um, you, you get to a point in life where you realize the value of that for, for, for whatever reason it is. But you mentioned get time back. And I thought that was an interesting comment because I've never really taken the approach to think by listening, I'm going to get time back. Most of us are trying to put in a word, put in our point of view, uh, maybe not get it right, but be right. And so all of us are trying to dominate the conversation, but you're taking a stance that by listening, we gain time. So why is that? Yeah. So there's listening happens before, during, and after a conversation. And when most people focus on conversations and listening, they just think about in the moment, in the dialogue. So I want to show you, and our clients have told me the evidence that they bring back about the time saving that they do. When you don't listen effectively, you could beat the competition and win a great client. Awesome. Well done. But if you listen to what they said rather than what they mean, you could have a really unprofitable client. A client who comes back and says, oh, that's not what I put on the specification. That, that's not what I had in mind. Can you move that from here? And all of a sudden, your profit's dwindling really quickly. So over the length of the relationship, if you listen effectively at the beginning, you can shorten the time in rework after the fact. But in the meeting itself, a really simple practical question you can ask at the beginning of every meeting. This has got nothing to do with the agenda or the outcome. When you use this question, the people we've been working with and the deep listening ambassadors out there who've gone out, thousands of them, and practiced this, they say they get in a week between one hour and four hours a week back. Now, what they get back is by asking this question, it helps the speaker change the way they express the idea. When you ask this question before the meeting even takes place, they will start to think about this question before they arrive. And all of a sudden, you don't get what's top of mind when people say something. A little bit of maths and the neuroscience of listening, this is important to understand why this question is so effective. 
we speak at about 125 to 150 words per minute, yet we can think at up to 900 words per minute. That means that the very first thing we say is about 14% of what we think and what we mean. And if you're just having a conversation with that 14%, you're probably missing out on 86% of gold. Now, extra time shows up in misunderstanding and confusion and conflict in a conversation because we're just dialoguing at 14%, but in the back of everyone's mind, they go, no, 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 this is what I mean. Well, they actually haven't had a chance to say what they mean. Now, we all carry a listening compass in our backpack, and I want to talk about that in the context of this question. And the question is very, very simple to say, but it's difficult to practice. The question is this, what would make this a great conversation? Importantly, don't say what would make this a great conversation for you, because we want people to notice that there's two or more people in the conversation. It's what will make this a good discussion for you, and hopefully you will get to say what will make it a great discussion for you. Now, the point of the question is this. We want to kind of give you a listening compass to hold throughout the conversation. Where's North in the conversation? And what we invite the person who's listening to do, imagine it's a one-hour meeting, every 15 minutes, simply say, hey, Brad, at the beginning of our conversation, you said this would make it a good conversation. How are we going? Now, you kind of get three responses. They go, we're going great. I've covered off everything I need. Let's finish up now. Meeting shortened. Option two, hey, Brad, um, you know, thinking about it, there's an extra thing I need to discuss. Uh, can we focus our time on discussing that next? Or, Brad, you know, now that I think about it, I haven't even considered one of the perspectives of my shareholder, my other founder, another part of the organisation. We'll need to talk about that as well. By holding this listening compass for you and for them, all of a sudden they get to say what they want to say, not just what they've said the first time. Now, a recruiter in the United Kingdom who's a client of mine, Emma, she's become quite famous for this question. And she was initially resistant going, oh, Oscar, we've got an agenda, we've got outcomes, we've got outputs. Why would I ask this question at the beginning? And I said, I said this is about how we discuss it, not what we discuss. I said, just do an experiment, Emma. Do it with three meetings with people who you trust and are close to you and just see if you notice the meeting's different. Well, she just tried it on one and she sent me a voice memo and said, Oscar, wow, this is a long-term client who's known me over a decade and we had the most different discussion we've ever had because she explained to me she would like me not to solve everything that she says. <laughs> and I thought I was being really valuable by solving everything in the moment. So this question, it's simple, it's innocuous. You can ask it before the conversation even happens, the day before. And if you ask it the day before, you're being invisible in their, in their mind. You, 
you will get in their mind while they sleep, while they shower, while they commute. And the way they think about the conversation will be completely different. Now, if you turn up on the day and you haven't had the opportunity, maybe it's a first meeting, maybe it's a referral, I would encourage you not to practice this the very first time on somebody you're meeting for the very first time. Where the stakes are high for you and the relationship is low, this is not the place to practice this question. Practice this question first with people you know, people who know, like, and trust you, people that you have a long-term relationship, and the consequences of the conversation aren't high. You'll start to build your listening muscles just like reps in a gym, and eventually you'll be able to try that out. Now, Brad, you've got a very curious look on your face. I'm fascinated about what's the scenarios you were thinking through where what will make this a great conversation might play out. Yeah, I I think it's very relevant to what we're doing, right? As any business owner, you're having meetings, whether they be internal, external. Um, My question for you was, when you state this, what would you like to get out of this conversation? You you essentially answered that. You said it could be done the day before because then they're thinking about they're coming in prepared. And really, when you're talking about having a conversation, discussion, this is also for a meeting, right? So even if I'm having a meeting, you're my client, we're going to sit down at some point. I can stage the meeting, whether for me as a builder, I'm looking at this. I, it could be pre-construction. It could be during construction. It could be you know, a walk in the field, designers involved, whatever it is. But essentially, this practice should be taken all across the board. Yeah. And the purpose of the question is you signal that you're listening. Remember that 15-minute check-in all the way throughout a one-hour meeting? You're signaling that you heard what they said at the beginning, you're playing it back for them, and they completely change their perspective because they go, wow, Brad really listened at the beginning. Here's the dirty little secret. I'll go, I better up my own listening game. I better bring my attention to this conversation because as humans, we want to reciprocate. And if Brad's bringing his complete attention and giving attention in the conversation, you will change and shape the way the conversation takes place. Now, one of the things we want to consider is that when we think about that listening compass we mentioned earlier on, a lot of us think listening is therapy. You know, our idea of listening is formed by Netflix or a movie or TV show where a therapist has somebody lying out on a couch. This is not what we're talking about. In, in a commercial context, listening is a superpower. It's an advantage. And one of the things that people often misunderstand is the role of questions and listening. A lot of people say, look, if your question ratio is high enough, that's a signal of good listening. It is, but I sense the owners that you're working with, Brad, want to take it up a level. And questions have energy, they have direction, and they influence the way the speaker explains what they're trying to say. Questions can be north-south questions. That means we want to keep the conversation going in the same direction because it's going to be helpful for us and for them, not just for them. So north-south questions keep us going in the same direction. And then east-west questions are exploring differences. We want to look at the world 180 degrees different from the current location. 
Now, I'm going to give you really three simple questions, one to apply north-south, one to apply east-west, and just a simple way to think about when to ask those questions as well. So north-south questions is about listening for the similar and the familiar, and east-west questions are about listening for difference and distinction. North-south questions typically should be used at the beginning of a project or a beginning of a relationship or the beginning of the conversation. East-west questions should be in the middle of a project where things are getting messy. <laughs> you know, nothing ever works the same way as it does on the blueprint. What you don't know about me, Brad, is from the age of six till the age of 22, I did not have any school vacation. All my school vacations were spent in a truck with my dad, who was a concreter working <laughs> for a contractor. And if you think the concrete is not important, go to any home that hasn't had its foundation set correctly. Right. So I, I, I know firsthand what can go wrong on construction sites. In many different languages, I think I learned to swear in about 20 languages because construction sites are the home of migrants. And uh, I, I have a great affinity for all the lessons I learned concreting. Now, back to the question that's east-west. This question is to help us as the listener and them as the speaker to invite different perspectives that possibly they haven't considered. So the north-south question is a version of this. You can use exactly these words, but quite honestly, if it hasn't got your personal touch on it, it'll feel a bit robotic. The question is simply, tell me more. Wow, Brad, I'm curious. Could you say more about that? Hmm, fascinating. Could we go a little bit further? Right? And, and that's signaling that not only you, but also they have to understand this. So you may be, may be talking to a, a property owner that's built multiple properties and you may say to them, you know, what distinguishes a, a good builder from any other? And they'll give you their top of mind answer. But the one that matters most to them is the second and the third level of their thinking. Remember 125 words per minute? The first thing they say is 14% of what they think and what they mean. And if you want the speaker to be seen, heard and valued, you'll, you'll just say, could you say a little more about that? Now for East-West, we want to go in a different direction. We want to say something that sounds like, and what else? And what else have you considered? And what else happened when that project went over schedule in a previous build that you've done? And then finally, invite the perspective towards the end of the conversation that says this. If you were summarising this to your wife in a sentence, what we've talked about in the last hour, how would you summarise it? Now, in a one-hour meeting, ask it at about the 40-minute mark because you want a chance to make adjustments because what you'll hear is what they've heard, not just what you and they have said. 
and they'll say, oh, if I was explaining this to my wife in one sentence, it would be like this. Or if I was to, ex- could you explain, how would you explain this to the architect in a few words? I'd explain it like this. And all of a sudden you realise where the gap may be. Now, there is a third tip, but we're going to come back to that one shortly. The third way to really change the way the speaker expresses their idea. Have you got a go-to question direction, Brad? Do you normally uh, tell me more or are you exploring more for difference when you're asking questions? Yeah, I, th- I think it varies, right? As you mentioned, for me, as I'm, it, it depends, is this a client that's a repeat client? Is it a new client? Am I at pre-construction? Am I in the middle of the product? project. I think there's some variables. I, I think along those lines, something that's really been in, interesting that's made me reevaluate. You, you made a comment. You said a question could be like, what distinguishes a great builder, right? Mm. And that was interesting because I was sitting in a meeting early in my career and the client looked at me and they said, Brad, you know, because of course, like most of us, we're doing our sales process and they're like, Brad, you are telling us all these great things about, you know, your process and AFT and all this. So let's be realistic. When am I not going to like you throughout the build? And, mm. and, and no client had ever asked me that. And it made me think, right? Again. It's a it, really good question. It's a great question. And, I'm, and I had to think about that. And okay, so immediately I'm thinking, what are the pain points that my customers have had in the build? It, it, mm. Is it um, self and, and, you know, is it because things that we're not doing internally? Is it because just predominantly at this stage of the construction project, Clients are a little exhausted or frustrated, and and so internally we've we've done what we call this emotional roller coaster, and we've created this chart where I now work with my clients so that they understand kind of these waves of highs and lows of a build because of that question. So that's why it's interesting when you ask me, you know, questions I ask, you know, you, you learn these pain points and then you try to address those with those, you know, to set clear expectations, but. I've always taken the stance that I have to set those expectations, which we do to some extent, but what you're providing here, this valuable information is how you can get that out of them without telling Mm -hmm. them. And by getting it from them and listening and kind of, as you mentioned, by starting the conversation, like what would make a great project? What would Mm -hmm. make a great customer journey? What would make a great conversation for this meeting? I think that flips the script a little bit so that they're setting what their expectations are. Now I can you know, hopefully achieve those. Yeah. And another way to get it out is by reducing the risk for them saying something, you can hear things they would never imagine they would say to you. So an example might be, I'm just curious, uh, we're getting towards the end of the meeting. If, If your chief financial officer was listening to this conversation right now, what's the one question they would be shaking their fist because we haven't asked? They go, oh, they always ask, but the person hasn't brought it up. And you go, ah, okay, well, in the remaining time, is it productive to cover that off? Or if the municipal council authority that approves this construction was reviewing what we've done, is there anything we probably have missed? And they will value that question because they go, wow, they're already anticipating some things in the future. Or it could be about environmental damage or it could be about anything in that regard. So asking them to consider 
what we haven't discussed from the perspective of a person who isn't in the meeting, this is a way to hear the 86% that isn't present. And I'm going to give you a moment to kind of think about how you'd apply that in a situation, Brad. An ex-boss of mine uh, did a knockdown rebuild on his own site. And the builder, there were problems along the way, but a, but a story he heard that Deb and Gary loved to entertain. And on the last day before they hand over the site, a group of bricklayers came in and constructed a wood-fired pizza oven. Completely complimentary. And on the last day, they invited everybody who participated on the project. They built the pizza oven and it was their gift to Gary and Deb because they knew they loved to entertain. And that was the whole design of the house. It wasn't something in the spec. And all of a sudden, the only thing I hear about for Gary over and over and over and over again is who's invited over, how many pizza meals they've served, and Egg gives opportunity every single time to talk about his builder. Now, the builder heard what the house meant to Gary, not the construction, not the airflow because of where they live on a coast, not how they're putting solar panels in, not time, not material, not quality, but what did a home mean to them? It meant a place of gathering. It meant a place of entertaining and a place where memories are created. And the builder, as bold as he was, he could have knocked down that pizza oven if he made a mistake, I guess. But he heard what mattered to Gary there. Are you listening for those kind of insights when you're building for somebody else? It's interesting you say that because it made me think of an experience. And this is something, just being open, I have to do more, right? Because there are these little nuances, signals that our clients will drop and we may not pick up for whatever reason. And most of the time we're not listening, right? Or not paying attention. Mm-hmm. We, we were doing this renovation, renovation and this is somewhat along the same lines, but the clients have lived in this house. They had contemplating building a new home, but they were in a good neighborhood. They, their kids were growing. So part of it was this nostalgia to be in this neighborhood, the school district, they didn't want to leave. So they knew they were more or less overbuilding for the neighborhood, but they wanted to stay there. It was important to them. So in one of the bedrooms that we were going to be demolishing and demoing and kind of remodeling the entire home, they had a door where the kids would line up right every year and they would measure their height on the door. So, so they had talked about this, shown us the door. And so my superintendent had heard that, you know, and during the demo stage, he went in the morning before the demo crew showed up, pulls the door, takes the door to his house, demo comes in, they, they do the project. So fast forward a year later, we're done with the remodel. Remodel's complete clients move in and in lieu of like a traditional gift basket or maybe a pizza oven <laughs> as you mentioned but what was really neat is my, my super mark had taken this door uh he's a cabinet maker by trade so he had cut out this section of the door with all the kids heights and made this really tall um plaque if you will and then and had it framed and gave it and the clients just started bawling like i can't believe you heard that i can't we said this just nonchalant in our site walk and here he noted that did something about it and put it up there. Now the clients, and again, it wasn't costly. It was just a little memento token that happened. And now forever those clients, you know, reviews, referrals. I mean, we have a, a client for life. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the insight for you 
and your team is simply this. Uh, more than one set of ears on a site inspection creates a difference in hearing. And you should get in a huddle after the site inspection, go through the procedural things you need to do, and then compare notes and go, is there something we think is meaningful for this client? And as you pointed out, it costs Mark an hour of his time to properly sand and lacquer, knock up a frame, put it together, and yet it's completely changed the memories. They, they, will, they will tell people who come to visit their house all the time. But if you have a process that's on a checklist that says, let's get in a huddle after the meeting, let's check what we both heard, because that gives you another opportunity to improve quality. And this is where the time saving is, where we talked about this at the beginning, Brad. And then ask ourselves the question, what would be meaningful for this client? And tell the Mark story, because that will help everybody. How many people in your organization know Mark's story? Um, it's interesting. So we've grown now as a company. We're 22. But when Mark did this, there were probably only 11 of us. And, and I would hope that 11 knew. But at the same time, I don't know. I mean, you know, I need to bring that up, especially that we've had new hires. And I think what's interesting is, you know, one thing that we've been big on that now you're even taking it to a micro level, it's even more important, Oscar, is that I'm, I'm looking at a job saying, okay, at the end of the job, we're having an autopsy and an evaluation, right? And we're evaluating job costings, part of that, but you're evaluating that customer journey. You know, how, how did we do as a team? Where did we fail as team members with the project and with the timeline and whatever it may be? Was the client frustrated or aggravated? But rewinding that with all the site meetings and all the meetings we're having throughout the build, why not have a huddle? You know, I have multiple team members on each project. Why are we not doing a huddle to at least see, is there something that was communicated? And it may not be a, a move-in gift, but it could be something that's really important to the client. And did we catch it? Are we addressing it? Yeah, and the more frequently you have those huddles, you, you can pick up things that they may not have said in the initial site inspection, yet they come on site and they may say something to the person who's finalising the landscaping. They may say something to the glazier. They may say something to uh, a carpenter. It doesn't matter. If you can set up a container to listen, to catch those things earlier, you know the rework is cheaper if we have to. Now, remember that client that says to you, what am I going to get annoyed about? I think, I think a beautiful response would be, here's a list of things that we've done wrong in the past. I think what's important for you to know is the process we use to catch mistakes faster as a result. And I think the huddle is a really good example. But I also think there is a magnificent video for you to make, commission somebody to tell the Mark story with the client and you can reposition yourself as the builder that cares, the builder that listens, you know, whatever you want to do. And there are many more examples of those stories if you go and listen for them as well. I love I that. Love, I didn't, I love I didn't Mark's story. 
Yeah, and I didn't account for uh, marketing advice as well, which is really uh, on point, Oscar. <laughs> well, as a former marketing director at Microsoft, you may get that in the conversation <laughs> with me as well. I do want to leave you with a final tip. And and remember, we said a north-south question, tell me more, and what else to go and explore difference. And this final tip, the most potent of all, it's also the shortest question of all, and done well, it's liberating, it's expansive, it's transformational. Done poorly, it can feel intimidating. And here it is. Now, don't worry, nothing froze. <laughs> there is no coincidence that the word silent and the word listen share exactly the same letters. In the West, we have a relationship with silence. It sounds like the awkward silence, the pregnant pause, the deafening silence. We want to fill that space. Culturally, we think silence is a bad thing. Now, whether you're into photography, painting, architecture, or art, there is a concept of negative space. This is space in a painting that's used to expand the thinking of the person viewing the painting beyond the subject of the painting. It's everything else around it. And the negative space in a conversation is silence. It is the magnet that is the North Pole for your listening compass. If you have the courage just to pause a little bit longer, typically what will happen is the other person will say, hmm, actually, now that I think about it a little longer, Brad, you know, we need to discuss this or, hmm, I, can I say that another way? Uh, how, how, I think this would be more effective. And all of a sudden, because you've had the courage just to pause with them, listen to the silence, it's allowed their speaking to catch up with the 900 words stuck in their head, and they say what they mean, and you've avoided a huge cost in the construction because they forgot to tell you something about some element of what matters. So question one, tell me more. Question two, and what else? And the third one is silence. This episode is brought to you by Pella Windows. When it comes to building homes at AFT, almost every project has Pella Windows. And they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relationships with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers, because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to, to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. Their they're company culture, their integrity, their honesty, you know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra-contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects. So, 
for anyone, any scale, any size, they're the ones to call. They're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing. So if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella Windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. I love that. And I'm actually taking these notes for those three. So just to repeat, you know, and, and what's interesting when you, when you were quiet there, as if, you know, many listeners thought it paused, listen and silent have the same consonants or the same letters, right? They're just spelled differently, which I've never heard that, which is actually pretty fascinating. Um, as, as I think about this, especially early on, as we rewind this, and you mentioned this a few times right now, as you said that by listening and, and I, and I started, but you're getting time back. And so we took that route, but what's interesting is you said, better profitability and an invisible sales force, right? Sales. Mm -hmm. And I thought about that and you gave a couple little examples, but essentially how many mistakes do we make in our profession, especially builders, architects, designers, by going a certain direction, by not listening. And the client's like, I didn't want that. That's not what my expectation was. We, we never took the time to listen to what their goal was. I, I just went through this on a recent project and so that alone, as you mentioned, from a timeline perspective, speed of, you know, speed of the project, um, cost, right? All these things could have been avoided had we have done a better job listening, communicating, and even having silence to some, you know, for part of that. Yeah, and it's easy to say it's difficult to practice because what gets in our way is everything everything in our mind from the last conversation, all the questions we want answered in this conversation, what we need to do next, what's happening on the weekend, or what I need to do with the bank manager. Uh, there, there are many things going on in our mind. And we've researched 26,000 workplace listeners in, in English-speaking language. And what's common is people think listening starts by focusing on the speaker. It is very difficult to sustain and implement the tips we've just talked about if you don't listen to yourself first. Rock bands, orchestras, all tune their instruments before every single performance for five minutes, no matter if they're playing in the same venue on the same day with the same music, with the same musicians, with the same instruments, they all tune their instruments. It's a show of respect. It's a show of professionalism. It's a sign of humility. And they're professional musicians. How are you tuning into yourself before you go into the conversation? Give yourself five minutes before a conversation just to check in with yourself. The fastest way to do this is just to play a song. It can be any kind of music before you go into a conversation and that will help you to shut down all these browser tabs that are open in your mind and using up memory. So if you can tune into yourself first, you'll have space available to listen and you can take a little seven-minute quiz at listeningquiz.com and just answer some questions. You'll get a five-page report. It'll tell you what your primary and secondary listening barriers are, and it'll give you three tips to go and implement that are tailored exactly to your listening barriers as well. So 
be human, admit you can make mistakes, but equally be conscious that how you show up will change the way any conversation takes place. So Oscar, what's interesting is you mentioned um, just as a band or a musician is tuning their instrument before a performance, um, I can say I am really guilty about going from one meeting to the next, one conversation to the next, essentially checking off a box right throughout the day without really evaluating right the purpose or prepping myself for that conversation and essentially creating space right in preparation for the goal of that meeting um mm. listeningquiz.com and, and 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 again you mentioned that that that's something that all of us can go on we can do that and take this evaluation what do you recommend because i'm i'm not really an anxious person i just not my personality however i will say that there are certain meetings maybe throughout the week or throughout the month that could create anxiety. I, I occasionally I'll have one where maybe it's a tense situation or, you know, I don't want to say confrontational, but there's items that have to be addressed. What do you recommend preparation, you know, especially from a listening aspect, aspect if you know that you may be in a conversation, it, not that it's going to get loud or aggressive, but maybe there's a sensitive thing that's going to be addressed at this meeting. Um, I'll give you some tactical things to do and I'll also give you a really simple how-to process kind of thing as well. So some practical things. Drink a glass of water before you go into that conversation, at least a glass of water. How tall your glass of water is, it's, it's up to you. I'm not talking a gallon. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're talking just a glass. Every 30 minutes during the conversation, if it's face-to-face, have, have a glass of water as well, or when that tension goes up and the disagreement or conflict emerges, just pause, just grab the glass of water and drink it. Now, what will happen is some of the people on the other side will notice that and do the same. Now, the physiology is this, around your heart and lungs is something called the parasympathetic nervous system. This is the part of the body that tells you to relax. With the presence of water, the next time you drink a glass of water, if you're really conscious of your body, you will notice how the water goes down and how you relax and get yourself into a state. Yeah. So for those of you who can't see, Brad's taking a sip of water right now. I'm, I'm testing and Oscar. Yeah, yeah. So are you, you're taking a sip but not a glass. So um, have another sip. And what I want you to do is notice as that water goes down, what, what's happening to you as it goes down? You know, I, I, I definitely, and I'm not tense, but you can feel relaxation. There's a pause. There's, it, it, you feel, especially a cool glass of water. Yeah, it definitely chills and, and, and relaxes you, puts you in a state of relaxation for a minute there. Yeah, now it's not going to take more than a microsecond for it to flare back up again if the counterparty says something. But you, you, you have a technique that's before and during the conversation as well. And the, typically people will mirror that behaviour and do the same so they're getting the same sensation as well. The, the other bit is notice your breathing and their breathing. When, when the conflict's emerging and going higher, you, their breath will shorten. Your breath will shorten as well. That's an invitation for you to be conscious of what's going on. Okay, deepen my breath, hold them for longer. Whether you're a Navy SEAL, an Olympic athlete, 
or an opera singer. They are all taught breathing techniques for peak performance under pressure. To many of us aren't conscious there is a correct way to breathe in through the nose, right down to the bottom of the lungs and the diaphragm, then out through the mouth. Three to four times will help you reset and get that same sensation if you don't have water present in the meeting. Now the process. So the two tips there, water and breathing. They sound super basic, but they're difficult to practice in those situations because your amygdala, the back of the brain that's connected to the most primitive form of fight and flight human response is just going off. And it's going to be more powerful sending cortisol to your brain than the oxytocin that's released when you drink the water and take the breathing. It's a survival instinct. If you're conscious of it, you can control it. That's why Navy SEALs do box breathing, which is in for four, hold for four, out for four, in for four, hold for four, etc. The other thing I mentioned was process. Signal clearly at the commencement of the meeting that you anticipate there are areas of disagreement and have a conversation about how we will handle that disagreement when it arrives. Now, no, when I've interviewed professional mediators, one thing they talk about is by explaining and anticipating and having that conversation about the process because conflict is inevitable. It changes the way the conversation takes place because we've signaled it, it's not going to be a surprise. Because we've signaled it, we can cooperate about how we create an environment where we can productively hold conflict and make progress. So often in that state, a lot of people go, well, actually, yeah, you're right. We are going to have some difficult conversations today. How we've done it in other situations, how we've done it here, or I haven't even thought about it. What would you recommend? And then all of a sudden, you've taken a little bit of sting out of the conflict. You're always overrun, Brad. You're always overrun. As opposed to, look, when we get to talk about overruns, how would we like to discuss it? Will we talk about anticipated, whatever it is? I'm curious with that second bit there about having the conversation about anticipating the issue. How, how would you practically apply that now that you've heard that? Well, it's interesting. I, I you know, and before I answer that, I, I think about even as the water example. Um, and this kind of goes back to earlier in the conversation, you were talking about the pause, that silence, how important that is. There's something about when there's silence, a lot of us feel that we have to fill that gap and jump in. I, you know, I know, especially, you know, there's this uncomfortable, so you feel like you have to say something. And I've seen that really good communicators are ones that can listen and be quiet and they're okay with silence. They're okay to ask a question and just sit there. So it's uncomfortable for the room until they answer. Um, and, and then how the water can calm you in, in this tense situation. And so as you're mentioning, like the, as, as we're evaluating a tense conversation that may come up, you know, the common ground that maybe can be decided between the parties, the possible solution coming in prepared with, Hey, we're in a bind, whether it's bad news I'm giving to somebody or lack of performance or a financial issue, whatever it may be. If, if we understand that we, we have a goal in mind to address the issue, a goal in mind to resolve the issue, I think that would help just a lot of us as we have anxiety leading up to that. Mm. Yeah. And again, 
as a leader in the conversation, if you bring it up before the conflict emerges, they're going to think about you completely differently. Wow, here's a guy who's anticipating. Wow, here's a guy who's thinking ahead. Wow, he cares enough that he wants it to get to a good outcome. And we haven't even got to the bit that we know we're going to clash over. So let me ask you this, Oscar, as we think about, you know, just all, you know, these different techniques, again, from a listening side, what's really hard for an A-type personality, someone who's business owner, why, why is it harder for them to implement and use and why is it so important? I'm curious why you think it's harder for them. You know, it's interesting. I've... Um, and and it may not be all of them, but I I have seen uh, a lot of leaders. You know, it's very much like, here's how we're going to do it. You know, A type is high expectations because a lot of A type people are are very particular, right? And how they want their process, how they want things communicated, how they want things done, and maybe not to a micromanager, but a lot of A type personality people are working at a very high level. And by high level, it could be, you know, a lot in their plate, long hours, multitasking. I think there's a lot of variations of that. And so it can happen where other people they may deem as not working at their same efficiency or performance. And so that's where things can escalate as opposed to taking a stance of listening, guidance, training, you know, communication, um, and I could be wrong. I mean, for you, Oscar, you've been around a lot of people through Microsoft and through your career coaching. So that's been a lot of my experience. A-type people in my experience have maybe not been the best listeners on average. Sure. So now that you got the next 125 words out, you've just, <laughs> yeah, you've described it a little differently than how you described it the first time. If you were to put it as a question in the subject line of an email now, what would the question be now that you've had a chance to say it out aloud a couple of times? Um, I'm trying to think how I could take that entire phrase that I just mentioned and condense it to one question. Hmm. I would have to give it some thought. No, no, but, but it's no rush. Take your time. We can pause here. Nobody's listening. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I think if I were to pause or, or rephrase that question, it would be for someone who is demanding or expecting someone to perform at a similar efficiency as they are, you know, whether it be a boss or mentor, how can they apply the gift of listening, uh, practice that, use that so that it becomes part of their arsenal, you know, in, in that position that they're in? Hmm. So you've got a person in mind when you're saying this, right? There's uh, a particular person I sense you've got in mind. Don't say their name or location sure. or anything like that, but have you got a certain person in mind? I do. Wonderful. As you think about them, how, how would you say what we've said in the last hour to them? in a few sentences? Um, well, based on what I learned today, I'd ask them, uh, you know, if, of course, I'd want to have a sit-down meeting and ask, sure. you know, what, what we'd like to get out of this conversation. 
But in terms of summarizing the conversation from a commercial point of view for them in a way that, remember, you're thinking about that person, which bit of today's conversation really matters to them that would make a reason for them to make a change? Um, I'm looking at a, quite a bit of my notes here, but um, if I take it from a manager, and again, I'm thinking about early in my career having worked for a manager, mm. and I, I think the stance that I would take or maybe the question, you mentioned some really important points here. You talked about that the value of listening is you're getting time back, you're more profitable, and you have an invisible sales force. And specifically to this person and this company and the role that I had, I know that we had shortcomings in those three areas for this company. And so as a manager who's above me, going to them and, and positioning the conversation to think about here's similar projects we've had that have had an issue. I think we can solve, you know, time and budget and now marketing strategies moving forward by addressing these issues. And then at least, you know, maybe that ideally that manager's person would be receptive. Hmm. And I sense I don't need to provide you an answer to your own question now. And what I'm trying to do is role model when you listen how the speaker changes the way they think about that idea. And I can deconstruct some of the techniques I used there um, and making sure that Brad had a very specific person in mind. So when people are very broad with their question, it takes them a long time to get out. If you help them with specificity, they can go, ah, okay, right. And all of a sudden you move from really wide and you just went, boom. It's about profitability. It's about invisible sales force. It's about getting time back. You you just nailed it in a sentence really well, better than I would, by the way, um, because you were taking notes before, and I want to acknowledge you for doing that. That's a really important listening signal you send to the other party. Comprehension is one of the things that frustrates people who are speakers, that people don't listen, and they equate comprehension most the top one thing they equate with comprehension is note-taking. And the second thing that you've done really well, Brad, is play back your notes. So you literally just reference your notes there. So don't underestimate the importance of note-taking, whether that's digital or physical. The important part of that is the playback. So how did that feel as we were going through that process? Because I sense you were a bit agitated at the beginning. It's like, come on, mate, I'm paying you to answer the questions. Why am I getting the question back, right? But, uh, but I sense we had enough rapport that it was okay. Maybe I overreached. I'm not sure. Of course we had the rapport. I think that started in the first five minutes. So, <laughs> Yeah, thanks to Caitlin Clark. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yep, Oscar's a sports fan, such as myself. So before the podcast, we were just speaking about our. He was asking me about, you know, for those watching live, the some of the sports memorabilia. But we, but I digress. So, <laughs> all right. So finally, if you think about who's listening in the audience right now, what's the one question they really want to ask us that we haven't covered off? Um. Maybe I'll maybe I'll take this stance. Um, 
I, I know that for those listening, of course, I mentioned author, and I highly recommend you get Oscar's book, Shameless Plug here, right? But what's interesting is you've interviewed a hundred of the most diverse listeners, and right now you're giving us tactics. I mean, you have a lot of life experience, Oscar. What do they have in common? When you look at probably some of the best listeners you've been around, including yourself, who's learned these practices as you just kind of broke me down, right, as I'm trying to communicate this question to you. Good listeners, what do they have in common? What makes them great at what they do? How do they get there? The practice, you know, how does someone practice? How do they get to a point like you are in your career and sophistication? I think for all of us, we don't want, not all of us can be Olympic athletes, right? For some of us, it's just get off the couch and, 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 and run a three mile, right? So just make the next meeting better than the last rather than trying to focus on the big things is one of the things that great listeners do. The characteristics they share in common, um, curiosity, flexibility, and openness, they always go into a conversation willing to have their mind changed. Doesn't mean they're going to change their mind, but willing to have their mind changed. Tactically, they ask more questions than they make statements. Tactically, the questions they ask typically have eight words or less. And the shorter the question they ask, the bigger the impact they have. And the shortest question of all is silence. So they're comfortable with silence. To get ready to do all those things, they are all conscious that they need to prepare before they get into a meeting. So for some of you, you're in virtual worlds where you're doing video conferences, as an example. Please do not schedule a video conference meeting for the top of the hour. Schedule it at five after the hour. And you and the other parties will arrive in a completely different state because if they're A-types and they're back-to-back meetings, they don't have that five minutes. Now, typically what happens is somebody will arrive three after the hour, four after the hour, sorry, I'm late, I've just had a back-to-back and I'm really sorry. Although physically they think they're in the meeting, mentally it takes them another five to seven minutes to get into the space. You can use the very tactical calendar invite to go five after the hour, finish at five to the hour, so don't do any more one-hour meetings because your meetings will get shorter when you listen effectively. Just make them 50-minute meetings or 25-minute meetings. So that's the telescope to the microscope. The telescope, they're open, they're flexible, they're curious, and all those tactics and practices about questions, question ratios, and the use of silence is what distinguishes good from great. You know what, Oscar, when you said, which was interesting, and you had asked, what would your listeners want to hear? Um, And I think you just shared a nugget that I've never heard. As many people have I spoke with, I've never heard this. But the, the way you broke this down, you said, flexibility, right? I think that's really a key word, but you said willing to have their minds changed. You think about just any aspect of life. We, we don't need to speak about politics, but I mean, how, how great would that <laughs> be in politics, right? That, I don't think that ever happened, but, but I think what's interesting, so many of us have a predetermined uh, argument or statement or result or whatever it may be that we want to get out, but to be able to come in a conversation 
and say, I can be flexible that maybe I'm not right. Maybe there is a better solution. Maybe um, I, my mind can be changed. Having that humble approach, I've never thought of that characteristic going into the top executives and listeners and leaders that you've been around, but it makes complete sense, right? And 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 especially the silence and even the little nugget of saying start up, you know, five after the hour, right? So that people come in and they're not in a rush. You know, it's it's so valuable. And Oscar, you've been um it's always interesting, you know, guests, and I've had great guests, all of them are great, but it's interesting when you have someone such as yourself and I'm sitting here looking like, how could we be an hour? Like, I feel like I've been talking to Oscar for like five minutes. So you, you do an exceptional job communicating. And again, I think we only got, I think I could speak to you for 20 hours, but in the sake of your time for those listening, you know, what, a couple things here as we leave, what do you do for fun? Cause I think that's really interesting just in your personality. So, you know, what keeps you busy outside of the coaching and mentoring and everything you're doing and uh, where can our listeners find you? I'll go in reverse uh, the don't find me, find yourself, find your own listening, visit listeningquiz.com and learn more about you and your listening. And uh, for fun, uh, I play Lego with my grandkids. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's a magical place. They're, the twins are five and uh, the eldest is 10 and um, Sebastian. Uh, just the way their mind works when you dump a whole bunch of secondhand Lego in front of them and the worlds they're imagining and what they're learning about constraints and how they're flexible and the relationship with cooperation just gives me great joy. And, and for me, it's just a wonderful place for my mind to be in the moment constructing things as I'm told, get me more green and get me longer pieces. And it's like, you know, my role is completely reversed. Uh, another thing the great listeners do is they apologize. I forgot the middle question. Could you repeat that one? <laughs> <laughs> that's good. You had three questions. I did. I think, yep. No, what was that's the really second good. question. Uh, so really the second one was what do you do for fun? And, um, you know, our listeners can find you because it is important. I mean, even if it's, you know, finding your book, you know, where can they purchase your book and just, you know, other content as you're speaking. Yeah. Um, if you, again, if you visit listeningquiz.com, it's got all the coordinates in there. You can find the book off the menus there. You can find the podcast off there. You can find the practice cards off there. The, all the resources you need to improve your listening every day. There's a 90-day challenge you can sign up for there as well where you can just get a reminder once a week for 13 weeks about how to move your listening forward also. Well, Oscar, you've been tremendous. I cannot thank you enough for the friendship and relationship you've offered this past hour with the great advice of which I have pages of notes that I'll be applying and using in, uh, in my life and day-to-day -day business. And I know our listeners will do the same. So really appreciate your time. Thanks for listening. If you give value from the show, please support us by giving a five-star rating and review on whatever platform you listen to. And I also have a favorite ask. We've had some incredible guests that come on and share their wisdom, their knowledge about their business. So if you have friends or family members that could benefit from those episodes, please share it with them, as well as any other business owners that you're networking with that could get value from the podcast or certain episodes, please share those as well. Again, subscribe, make sure you're following any questions that you have, topics. We've had uh, listeners reach out about certain guests that we should have on the show. Again, brad.l 
at AFTConstruction.com. Email me for topics to address, guests that we should have on, and even if you think you'd be a great guest for the show. So again, thank you for all your support, and we'll see you next time.